Hello, and welcome to SSCS Chip Chat. My guest today is Professor Patrick Yu of Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. He has some great advice on choosing a career path and stories about the early days of Wi-Fi. But first, I request that you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about this podcast. You can reach us at chipchat at fastmail.com or on Twitter at chatsscs. Enjoy. Welcome, Dr. Yu, to SSCS Chip Chat. Uh, we are very happy to have you on our show. So you are uh, currently a professor at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, doing integrated circuit des- or in the Integrated Circuit Design Center, the Optical Wireless Lab, and the HKUST Qualcomm Joint Innovation and Research Lab. And uh, you're a founder at LiFi if I'm pronouncing the name of the company right? Very accurate. Thank you, Saya. Yes. Most people actually call it, uh, pronounce it as uh, LIFI, <laughs> uh, but it's LIFI because uh, FI was actually physical layer. But I- I'll get to that a little later. Thank you for the introduction so far. Though. Thanks. Let's get started on uh, what got you interested in, uh, in integrated circuits in particular and engineering in general, and how did you end up uh, working in uh, in integrated circuits. Okay, so I'll give a short story. Uh, well, I was a foreign student uh, at the time and uh, trying to choose my major uh, for my undergraduate major, and and obviously I, I was trying to uh, find a good job such that I can apply for a green card and stay in the U.S. Uh, at that time, I was doing my undergraduate uh, at SUNY Buffalo, my first year. And, uh, and then later on, I realized that, hey, uh, you know, electrical engineering is one of the uh, most competitive and the job uh, prospect is very good. And so the competitiveness in me felt that, hey, you know, the top students are choosing that. And I was uh, I was actually quite interested in physics. So that got me into it. I wasn't very strong in math, so I didn't choose computer science. And then, of course, the uh, job prospect. So those are the two reasons that make me choose E. Then I was fortunate enough to work for Professor Al Tash at UT Austin as an undergraduate researcher, and I was actually learning how to do uh, mobility modeling uh, as an undergraduate researcher, and that's how my first glimpse of the uh, IC world. Uh, and I was reading papers from uh, Professor Jim Plummer on the mobility degradation, hot carrier effect, that start to get me interested in. Uh, all the kind of seminal work in our field. Uh, and then later on, I applied to Stanford um, for my PhD degree. And um, my advisor was Professor Simon Wong at Stanford. Uh, and also, uh, I learned a lot from Professor Tom Lee uh, in terms of CMOS RF. Uh, so I was very fortunate that I went from more of a processing device modeling background. Uh, and Simon's expertise was the interconnect. And so I ended up working on a topic that's uh, combining all of that and uh, for the application of CMOS RF. And that was actually the kind of the golden era for research in that area. Um, you know, Tom was among one of the pioneers in the area, as you, as many of us know, in, in, in the IC world. So that's how I got into uh, IC. And then after I graduated, I, I joined a startup uh, to commercialize uh, CMOS RF. So how was your... Uh How's your P 
PhD experience. So you, when did you switch from devices? So, um, as you said, you, you were working on mobility, which I assume is, is electron and whole mobility in semiconductors, which basically tells you how fast your device is going to operate. Right. Yes. And yes. then, then you switch to circuits at some point. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, very interesting. And I think this was actually related to the little, uh, pre interview chit chat that we have. I, I, I'm probably the first student that Simon has that actually really work on, uh, you know, core circuit. And in fact, I, there, there's not much schematic in my PhD thesis. Uh, I started out was giving the task that, hey, um, inductor is a uh, important element that will enable CMOS RF. And so I was asked to figure out as we go from two, three layers of interconnect into multi-layer, uh, how we can implement inductors on chip to achieve the kind of quality factor that we need. Now, the mindset that I got from uh, my undergraduate training for doing mobility uh, modeling uh, has prepared me well uh, in terms of understand how you will take the process information and the limitation or, or, or constraint, I should say, to build something. And then more importantly is after we build the device, ultimately our customer, device modeling engineers, customer is circuit designer. Just like, you know, the most successful example is obviously BSIM. So I went from spending, you know, I would say about 60% of my uh, graduate PhD training in the clean room in CIS, the Center for Integrated System you know, halfway processing the wafer, halfway playing Tetris to uh, try to get on the top of the uh, record <laughs> or maintaining there, I should say, <laughs> to to really kind of know that, hey, um, is, is, is this experience, is this uh, a model that I'm building really suitable for circuit design? Uh, is it really that I need to obviously want to get the maximum Q, right? But maybe more importantly is that I can build a model for the inductor that is uh, that is actually trans-process, meaning that if you use a T company's process versus an I company process or S company's process, you can still use it. So that's how I actually steered my thesis into the physical modeling area. And then subsequently, we come up with a technique that can improve the inductor performance, and which is also, again, uh, not any special process but it's uh, compatible with uh, mainstream CMOS process. Uh, so I would say that I really didn't completely switch over to circuit design during my PhD thesis. However, my work was very, you know, customer oriented. And so the last part of my work is uh, in the PhD, which I actually spent about uh, four months after my PhD before the startup was launched, uh, work very closely with several faculties. One of them, of course, Professor Tom Lee, as I mentioned earlier, to help to build the first uh, CMOS uh, GPS receiver. And uh, Tom's first few students, uh, uh, Derek Schaefer, Arvind uh, Shavani, and uh, Ali Hajimeri, they one work on RNA, one work on Mixer, and the other one work on VCO. And the common part is they all needed inductors. So if you take a look at the first edition of Tom's uh, CMOS R RF book, uh, I, I took up the most space. I, I took the middle part of it. Uh, those sixteen, those sixteen inductors, and you. I think the paper, if I remember correctly, is nineteen ninety eight ISSCC. If you go back to the GPS receiver chip, uh, so that's how I really kind of went from a modeling person to go into hey, 
you know, I got this software, I can generate layout and the model and the circuit designer now start to buy me, you know, burger and pizza and beer. So it's a good thing, right? So that's, that's how, and then when, when the startup was launched, uh, I took that philosophy with me and um, it was quite, it was actually quite, um, quite helpful to the company. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, uh, I mean, for our general audience, so inductors, are very very hard to integrate in on a semiconductor because they they usually are quite big, and the trick was to to figure out how to do it um, using multiple layers and and uh, multiple turns, basically. So, um, so tell us about your startup experience after you uh, uh, graduated. Wow, that depends on how much time you have. <laughs> but anyhow, um, I, again, uh, I, I, I'm very fortunate mm-hmm. uh, to uh, join uh, Professor Theresa Ming, uh, as well as Simon Wong, my advisor. My advisor was also a co-founder of the company, Professor Bob Bodison from Berkeley. And um, uh, not as well publicized, but most later on, uh, Professor John Hennessy was actually the chairman of the board. Uh, the startup that uh, that I joined is called Pharaohs Communication, which um, which was very successful. Then later on, it went public, and then subsequently it got acquired by Qualcomm. Uh, so you still actually see a Pharaohs, a Qualcomm Pharaohs uh, that that you know uh, is one of the supplier leading supplier of uh, the Wi-Fi connectivity chip, which includes Bluetooth and GPS in it now. The experience is, uh, you know, to say it is is absolutely uh, you know transformational, absolutely. Uh, we we did our first tape out in the in a small little uh, I wouldn't even call it incubation office uh, in our VC uh, foundation capital uh, just down down the street from uh, from our campus. Uh, we did it wirelessly because we didn't even have Ethernet and uh, how how appropriate, right? Uh, a CMOS <laughs> IF startup company and that was with uh, uh, Masoud Zagri. Um, mm. one of Professor Bruce Woody's uh, students. Right. Uh, so I, I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot as being the first uh, student. And because of my process background, I was the primary interface person with our foundry. Uh, we also have our uh, fellow classmate that work for the foundry that produced the model uh, and asked me why I don't use their model. There's a lot of interesting things. And then <laughs> as the company grow, we, we went from, you know, me being the first employee uh, to a number of uh, circuit designer, a very large number. And they all come to me and say, hey, how come my inductor was not tuned correctly? The frequency didn't come out correctly. And, you know. Uh, so a lot of ups and downs and stuff like that, um, and and we went through the, the dot com bubble, nine um, eleven. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so a lot of macro effect as well. But all in all, at that time, I I I I, I declined some other offer from big research lab and joined a startup. And I think a lot of it is all about the people and the mentor um, that I that I that I got David Sue. Um, uh, was my manager, um, Shara B, uh, who's now heading up uh, Facebook's uh, circuit uh, implementation or strategy with some big names, right? And um, a, a big group, anyway. So, so yeah. I learned a lot from them, and and I think ultimately you just want to be with the best people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very very lucky. I, I just find myself to be extremely lucky. And you know, you know, when the stock option actually becomes something, I remember back then there was about. 
50 uh, Bluetooth company and uh, maybe about 20 Wi-Fi company or something like that. And so we were very lucky in that sense. Of course, uh, the, the, Teresa and Bob and Simon and all, they really have core technology, but you know how the market works, right? So to say that there's no luck is really, you know, our first chip was not even doing AO2.11. We were doing our own proprietary things called multi-user detection. And we used to call it, why are we working on mud? <laughs> you know, okay, uh, you know yeah. anyway that's why i asked how much time you have i can go on and on you know so uh what's 802.11 which is the wi-fi standard was it already a standard at the time when Natera started or um no it was not you were kind of inventing the standard as we were going right well uh, the, uh, the, no, Atheros cannot claim to be the inventor because okay. it's IEEE standard. As you know, the, mm-hmm. the you know, 2.11 is, is a task group. And uh, I would say that, we, in fact, it was uh, around the year 2000 when we when we really are getting ready to engage customers. We are trying to decide whether we should. I remember we have numerous discussion whether we should go with uh, IEEE uh, compliant uh, standard versus our own. And ultimately, I think uh, with our, uh, I guess, our first MBA background CEO, uh, Rich Riddell, he's, he's now a uh, still at uh, Foundation Cap after left the company. He, he came to us from 3Com. Before that, Teresa was actually acting as a CEO. And I think I still credit uh, Richard for really, uh, at least from where I can see, okay, uh, at that stage, I, I think Richard was the one that pushed very hard for us to go with the the, the standard, you know, coming from a networking company, you can see where why he would say, "Hey, man, you got to be able to talk to other people." Not that you have the best technology, and I think that 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 helped us. And then we were the first one to have the AO two point eleven A OFDM at running at five gigahertz. But really, break open the market for us was actually a pre draft standard called the fifty four G. It's running actually at. A uh, uh, 52G, I forgot the, the, the name of it. But anyway, it's a, it's a fast speed, uh, it's an OFDM, but it's running at uh, 2.4 gigahertz uh, by the B company. And uh, they, they it was on Fry's electronic shelf during Christmas. And I tell you, man, my heart sunk to the bottom. I say, dude, we were supposed to be the one, but why are we sending our things at the, at the 5 gigahertz, not 2.4 gigahertz, right? Hmm. 24G, 24G yeah. is the name. 24G, 2.4, and then G is 11G. Right. And so, um, yeah. Um, and then we quickly come up with a very genius, uh, uh, ingenious solution uh, to, 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 to regain the market share and become relevant. So it, it was, it was very, so we, we didn't invent it, but we, 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 I, you know, we benefited from, from the proliferation of uh, various standards, uh, especially the OFDM being used. Awesome. So you, in in retrospect, you if if somebody is looking at a job offer from a large company today versus joining a startup, um, you'd still recommend going with a startup. Very good question. You know, change is the only constant, as we know. I think it depends on what large company are we talking about. Right. As I mentioned, like Facebook. Uh, or any of the data company, you know, Microsoft has have an IC group for a long time. And, uh, you know, maybe Amazon is also doing IC design for their data. I don't know. But my point is that I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it, when I do device modeling, the circuit designer is my customer. When you do circuit design, your system 
application, system and application comes together is your customer. And the application and system these days are all driven by one thing, and that's called data. And when you position yourself at the beginning of your career, I think we need to look at the big trend, the macro trend. Now, what I'm talking about is market forces right now, right? There are other trends that are maybe political or other, given your own background uh, or where you come from, you need to analyze it a little, you know, differently. But if we're just purely talking about market forces, then uh, I think you want to have the uh, benefit of a large company that has the muscle or influence and resources, but it has to match with your personality and working style and your expertise. I don't think that there is one answer, one correct answer that fits all, but if you are a little bit more rebellious or a little bit more playful, uh, such as myself, I, I put myself very much in that category. Um, I, I did take the opportunity to, at the time, interview at Bell Labs, Maxim, um, just to, uh, the uh, Siemens in, in Munich and also and also a Fujitsu Lab in, in, in Tokyo. I, I went all over just so that I, I, I really get to meet a lot of good friends and, and all that. And ultimately, I choose to stay in Silicon Valley. So I, I think you want to really kind of like know who you are who you are and, and where you want to work and the people you want to work with. That's ultimately uh, should be how you make the decision. And I wouldn't pay so much attention about the salary at the beginning. I really wouldn't. It, it's more about building up a good foundation at the beginning of your career. Yeah. Right. Awesome. That's a, that's a great answer. So after, um, I think this was a Theros, and I think you worked at another company after that, but at some point you switched back to uh, academia. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, first, of, I, first of all, I, I do want to mention yeah. about the other startup called sure. Arrows. Awesome. Yeah. So the two startups that I joined that both uh, uh, start with the letter A, and Arrows was started, started by uh, Shara B., uh, who left uh, Theros um, to start his own company and also with a couple other students from Professor Bruce Woody's group and Mark Horowitz's group, uh, Stephanos, and focus on uh, high-speed uh, service. At that time, it was a Zaoyi interface, a 10 gigabit per second. And my motivation of joining there is, uh, frankly speaking, I wanted a break from Eros. Um, I, I would say that I've been on the ultra-fast uh, treadmill and I'm falling. I'm falling behind. I couldn't keep up. Um, I, I did tape out. I, I still remember. Uh, I have 37 folders. Each one is a tape out. Um, wow! In those four years that I was there, 37 uh, tape outs in four years. 37 <laughs> tape outs. Uh, we used to stagger our tape outs because one group of engineer will be doing tape out. So we fully utilize all the cadence license and then the other group will be doing testing. So we fully utilize all the equipment that we ran or paid for. <laughs> it was great engineering. But anyway, when I say burnout, I mean, it's all capital letter. I can see that, <laughs> you know, and uh, so I left uh, and I wanted to also work on something different, learn about signal integrity, long, learn about broadband circuit. I was very much, uh, focusing on narrowband circuit, as you know, I mentioned VCO mixer right. and RNA. And when you learn about uh, broadband uh, matching and and signal integrity, then you realize that hey, you can't just like get that circuit performance only within that bandwidth. You really have to worry about the full spectrum. And I thought that would be a good perspective for me to have to learn. And I did. I uh, HJ HJ is another uh, uh, 
co-founder of the company, along with Mark Reuners from Bruce's group and, and Shah and Stephanos. I learned a lot from them. First thing I did for them was actually to help to get their clock buffer just slightly higher uh, speed uh, uh, for the slow, slow corner without changing the layout. So I added two chunk peaking inductor. And I remember those were the smallest inductor that I did. Uh, the diameter diameter was only about 35 micron, but you don't need a high Q. You just need a broadband. You want the self-resonant frequency to be low. Uh, so, you know, it, it, you know, they, they put me in a position where I can contribute. Uh, I also helped them to interface with, you know, the, the foundry and all that. So it, it was good. That, that prepared me. And during that one year, I, I had time to go back to my kind of my route in terms of uh, being more of a free spirit, I guess. So going to university to do research will be something that, you know, you, you get to choose what you want to work on. And, and so I, I attempt to apply and very fortunate that I got a couple of offers and I uh, ended up uh, going back to uh, Carnegie Mellon. When I say go back, actually, it's not that I'm from Pittsburgh, but there is a very famous professor there who's now the department head, Professor Larry Palargi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my teacher at UT Austin during my undergraduate days. And so um, I, I just felt such a privilege to be now colleagues of my teacher. And that really humbles me. And, you know, my three years at CMU uh, taught me a lot. Uh, even things that I'm still doing for my department here, I, I, a lot of the practice I learned from my days at Carnegie Mellon. Um, so yeah, going to academia is really more just because uh, I'm true to my uh, personality. Um, I enjoy working with young people. I'm, I'm actually a boy in size, or even though it looks like an old man. But uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, awesome. Um, and yeah, you've been very prolific doing a lot of research. I can't even. Um, list all the areas that you work on optical wireless physical layer circuits and systems high-speed wireline communications uh, millimeter wave communication and sensing circuits indoor positioning image processing that's that's a pretty uh, vast amount of work um, what are you working on these days well, um, I am actually working on all of those. In fact, the last two are more related to system and even software and algorithm. And uh, as I mentioned, my earlier part of uh, my career are mostly on electro, uh, electrical or electron related. As uh, When I moved uh, to CMU, I started to work on um, optical mm-hmm. uh, interconnect starting from 10 gigabit. And now, you know, this year, ISCC, uh, I, I, I co-chaired the section eight, which is actually the lowest one is 112. And I think seven out of eight papers were 224 gig. So, so, you know, I, I, I try to position myself uh, to be able to produce research, you know, because, because you do have to be broad, but, um, and also it's just, I, I, I'm interested in some of these things uh, that, that are not as conventional so after I left uh, the U.S. and come back to uh, HKUSD in 2010, uh, there was very strong wireless uh, research. Professor Howard Long here has been doing that for a long time. Um, but the, the, the optical side, especially uh, photonics, not just wireline, copper-based uh, wireline, is an, is an area that I think uh, they, they can use some more training for students and research. So I, I switched to that. And at the same time, there's a very strong uh, LED group here 
and interesting enough, when I was at UC Santa Barbara, where I kind of, uh, uh, after CMU, I went to Santa Barbara before I come to UST, uh, Professor Suji Lakamura and, and Steve Dambout, you know, they, they're very famous in LED. But but at Santa Barbara, I actually never work on it because I, I I never see them, actually. They, they're too famous traveling around the world giving talks. <laughs> uh, and then come to UST, I ended up actually working with them because they are actually, um, I think they're visiting chair professors here or something like that in our Institute of Advanced Study. So interesting enough, I actually start to look at using LED for uh, optical wireless uh, communication, or sometimes people just simply call it nowadays called called Li-Fi, and Li-Fi is for light fidelity, like Wi-Fi is wireless fidelity. And actually, in my undergraduate class, I always ask students they know where the term Wi-Fi come from, and some a few of them were have fathers that are, or parents that actually listen to uh, high fidelity stereo, so they know. So I was impressed. So <laughs> we got Hi-Fi, Wi-Fi, and Li-Fi, right? And and the reason why I'm starting to look at a little bit on the application side of things and and it has to do with uh, uh, Li-Fi has one of the unique property that is line of sight and if you put it inside lighting uh, is uh, it, it doesn't penetrate through wall and it it is characteristic actually limited its application in terms of using as a general purpose uh, two-way communication however it does provide some unique capability for positioning and it is a capability that not only can be used, most of us think of us, you know, human use will be using a smartphone, right? Mm-hmm. We use that to interface with everything. So you can use the camera on the phone to interact with the light so that you know where you are. But more importantly, it also uh, allows you to enable robotics application because robots also need to roam around. And so that's how I went from looking at how do I build a modulator for the LED light rather than a laser light for optical fiber now to a LED to now how you will receive it when you don't have a photo detector that are implemented on a smartphone. You only have a CMOS image sensor as a front side camera. So that's what actually there's a term for it called optical camera communication. Mm -hmm. And then once you have the physical layer done, which is I mentioned earlier why the company is called LifeWise is because it's light as a physical layer. Although that has been done for optical fiber for the longest time anyway, but it's a wireless. That's why my lab's name is Optical Wireless. But, you know, as uh, as we are the believer of our own technology, we, we, we have to build the whole entire application. So I started to learn about how to do full stack software with my students, <laughs> um, doing debugging and testing. Just, you know, painful but enjoyable at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I looked into uh, light communication a little bit uh, with a friend when I was working for uh, my previous employer, Hymax Imaging, and they make oh. image sensor cameras. Um, so he was like, oh, we, we could do this. But I didn't have an application in mind at the time. But now that you say robotics, it makes perfect sense. If you have yes. a you know, warehouse or a factory full of robo- robots that are going around, yeah. You need one you, of these. You, you got it. Yeah, especially right now, you know, most of robotics are still based on SLAM mm-hmm. and uh, you, using light to scan using LiDAR. Uh, but as you know, that, that they, they're trying to drive down the cost, but using just ordinary optical camera, uh, which is actually quite standard, you know, the, at least most robots will have one camera, if not 360 or multiple cameras. So that become a what I would call a physical layer platform that can easily be leveraged, and then you got to build the application up from there. Um, 
you know, uh, you know, and, and also implementing LED lights on, on, on robot is quite basic because people just use it as an indicator. We put LED light on PCB to tell us whether the board is powered on correctly or which mode is in. So, um, you know, VLC or visible light communication or Li-Fi is actually uh, one of the oldest t- uh, communication. But, you know, people get smoke or using a flashlight on, right. on, on ships, right? Uh, yeah. But it's just how do you get it into the IoT era and, and the robotic era and the data era, yeah. right? So, so we're transmitting a little more data than the old semaphore, so. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, awesome. So I, I presume you're taking... Uh, uh, coming back to like helping our uh, young engineers that are trying to get into PhD programs or, or just getting started with their career. What do you look for in a PhD student and what uh, makes a PhD student successful? Okay, very good question. Um, my advisor, Simon Wong, used to say that uh, he has the luxury being at Stanford is that as long as he got, well, he, not as long as, he always had funding. Uh, he said that the students at Stanford, as, at least the one that at CIS or the one that he has, is that, oh, I just let them have a research topic. Four years later, there's a thesis on my table and, and, and on my desk and it will be done. <laughs> Certainly, the, 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 the students' quality is really important in terms of their um, research capability and, 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 and intellectual. Now, um, the school I'm fortunate to have uh, taught at Santa Barbara, uh, Carnegie Mellon, and now HKUSD, we all have very good, excellent students. But we, we just to be frank, right, there is the A-plus student and there is the A-minus student. So what I actually look for is actually an A in attitude. I don't, I, of course, you have to have a certain academic capability, your, your GPA, whatever, all the typical stuff, but attitude determines a lot. That's number one. And, and then that means how your, your, your work ethics, your, your, your habit, your personality, are you, do you just always work and you don't try to balance our life? I mean, it's important. Even for graduate students, you have to have work-life balance, right? And, and then the other one is, are you willing to think out of the box? Um, I'll give you an example, and that happens a lot more often um, uh, nowadays, actually, in, in uh, uh, the, the PhD student that candidate that I interview. Uh, some of them actually have been working in the industry, and some of them come from uh, a certain uh, research lab that they have already worked uh, in uh, during undergraduate. So they are very fixed in certain areas. For instance, some students have been working on power management, and I would, I would look at power management student because my LED driver for the Li-Fi communication need to have some understanding because you can't just turn LED to communication transmitter and forget about it has to be beamed. It has to still provide illumination, right? But when I try to explain this to certain students, they get very uh, reluctant about going outside of where they have already invested their time. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, I'm not sure I want to modulate the LED so fast and Usually when I see that uh, response from a student, I give them a little bit more research uh, paper to, to read and have my senior student talk to them a little bit. But some of these students may be the top student with national scholarship, but they, they, try, they, they put themselves in a box too early. I whole career has been finding, trying to fight myself out of boxes, and I've been very fortunate, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in a very, very big box, if you would call it, right, <laughs> many areas. Yeah. And I think as a researcher, especially if you want to go after PhD, 
uh, attitude, which is what you need because everybody's working hard, everybody's smart, right? And then it's actually thinking outside of the box. It sounds very cliche, but you, you, you just have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit of what you have invested in and invest in new ideas and new directions. So those are the two things that I, I think uh, any, any student wants to go into a PhD and devote you know, four, five, six years of their life should really actually uh, think about those um, and, and, and be able to help them to you know, make the right decision whether PhD is for them and then choose the right uh, topic. And, and yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Yu, for, um, for your fantastic stories and great advice for our uh, young listeners. Um, it, was, it was a pleasure talking to you. And thanks Thank a lot for taking out the I time. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah.